Hi, my name is Dee Thompson, and thank you again for joining me for Sisters Doing Life Together podcast. This podcast is dedicated to women sharing their personal stories of faith and friendship, where vulnerability is encouraged and where freedom is where we want to live. As you listen, I am hoping that you will be encouraged and inspired to experience the beauty of community, which we call the sisterhood, and that you will grow in your love and faith for Jesus. April is Sexual Assault Awareness Month. And during this episode, I was able to sit down and have a candid conversation with my dear friend, Tony Jones. Tony is a man of faith. He's a husband. He's a father. But he's also a passionate and outspoken advocate who has been doing the work of ending violence against women for over 20 plus years. During our conversation, Tony and I will talk about the challenges that he's experienced, but also the rewards. We'll talk about the role of men in ending violence against women, specifically sexual violence. And we'll also talk about the need for the faith community to become involved. And one of the ways to best become involved and educated is by working with a local rape crisis center so that they can know how to best support survivors within the community of faith. May I share something with you? Every 68 seconds, someone is sexually assaulted in our nation. One in five women will experience either an attempted rape or an actual rape during a lifetime. One in four women will experience either sexual misconduct or sexual harassment at one of 33 universities in this nation. And when a woman is actually raped, it is likely that 50% of the time that is by someone that she has an interpersonal relationship with or someone that she is acquainted with, which is about 41% of the time. If you hear anything during this episode with Tony, this is what I'm asking. If you're triggered in any way, I'm asking that you please take care of yourself. And if you really need to talk to someone, I want to give you the number for the National Sexual Assault Hotline. That number is, you ready? 1-800-656-4673. Again, 1-800-656-4673. So here's the conversation with Tony and I. Hey, Tony, welcome to Sisters Doing Life Together podcast. I'm so glad you can join us this evening. Good evening. Good evening. Thank you. It's an honor to be here. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I just want to let you know that Tony and I have known each other for a while, and I'm going to tell you a little bit about how we met and the reason for this podcast. So I want to let you know that we're going to be talking about how men can engage in ending sexual violence against women. And the reason that we're having this conversation is because April is Sexual Assault Awareness Month. But in addition to that, actually, Tony and I were having a conversation about something, something totally different. And he said, you know, this month is Sexual Assault Awareness Month. And I said, yeah, I know. I put something on my Instagram page. And then I hung up the phone after talking with Tony. And then I sent him a text message like, I have a really good idea. And so he and I talked the next day and I told him I thought it would be a great idea if he and I were to talk about how men can get engaged in ending violence against women. And the reason I wanted Tony is because Tony is an advocate. He's a member of the faith community. And he's, um, in addition to that, he's done the work um, as an advocate. And of course, because he's a man. And so I told him, I say, all of those three things will give him, he makes him a subject matter expert for this conversation tonight. He is the first man on the podcast. And I told him that just before we came on live. And so he is not only a special friend, but he's a special guest because he's the first guy to be on our podcast and have a conversation. So thank you, Tony. 
Thank you, Donna. I, again, I am honored to be the first. I hope I don't mess it up for all the rest that will come after me. But we'll uh, see, Tanya. I but that's not know. my responsibility. So I'm just going <laughs> to represent me. <laughs> so we'll see if any guys get to come on after Tony, right? And so wow, in no pressure. To, no pressure at all. None. None at all. One of the things that I want to do before we actually start the conversation, though, is in all seriousness, is that I want to let those who are listening know that because we're going to be talking about ending sexual violence and because this is Sexual Assault Awareness Month, for those of you who may be triggered, I just want to let you know that this is going to be the conversation. So if you're listening and you think this may be a conversation that you're not wanting to maybe listen to right now, um, I want to let you know that in advance. And so let me tell you a little bit about how Tony and I met. Uh, we were having a conversation before we actually went on live. And so Tony and I met, I went to a conference um, at the North Carolina Coalition Against Sexual Assault. And Tony was an advocate there. And so because when I started working for an organization here in Columbia, that's called um, the South Carolina Coalition Against Domestic Violence and Sexual Assault, I would always say that until we get men actively involved and engaged in the work that we're doing, that we're not going to be successful. And so when I went to North Carolina and saw Tony doing the work, I was so excited. So me being Donna, Tony's trying to get something to eat because we were at a conference and it was time for us to eat. I'm like, let me go talk to this guy. And so I told him where I worked and we started talking, we exchanged numbers and then the rest is history. Um, as a result of that, Tony has not only worked with me here locally in Columbia um, with the faith community that I'm a part of, where we've done conferences here that were free to the public and for the faith community and anyone who wanted to be a part of it. But he was also a speaker at the uh, conferences for the Coalition Against Domestic Violence and Sexual Assault. He's spoken at agencies across the state and Greenwood and Georgetown. And so um I am thankful to know him as a friend, but also for the work that he's done and he's done so well. And then we had the privilege in 2015, I think we were just talking about it, and we had the privilege of working with a phenomenal leader and her name was Diane Smalley. And um, she invited us to be a part of a team of individuals who went to New York City and we were a part of um, two presentations, one on the United Nations grounds with the... Was it Botswana? Botswana. Mm -hmm. Botswana. And then we did an, an offsite um, event as well. And Tony was a part of the panel. And their topic was real men, real talk, engaging men and addressing domestic violence as well. And so we actually have an expert on the line with us tonight. And so, Tony, uh, with that in mind, I wanted to start with how did you get in the work? Well, at the time, um, I was pastor in a small church plant. And I saw this advertisement on the television about bringing phones to an agency and how the phones help to victims or victims of domestic violence who are trying to escape and need a lifeline. And so I contacted the, um, from the commercial, I contacted the local agency here in Raleigh, North Carolina, which was Interact of Wake, and began to ask you know, what is it? Uh, where can we bring the phones? And so we brought the delivered the phones there. And I was a part of the representation there. I uh, wanted to do that. And I met uh, a wonderful, wonderful, beautiful soul, Miss Laura Hilton at the time, who was one of the directors there. And, and I asked Laura the right question. 
I said, how do y'all do what you do and what kind of support do y'all need? Mm -hmm. And she began to walk me around the facility to show me all that was being done. And I asked another good question as she had explained to me, and that was, how is the faith community supporting in this? And she began to share the challenges they were having connecting with the faith community. I said, we absolutely should be engaged in this effort of supporting agencies and being trained or whatever it needs to be to be able to, because a lot of these victims are right there in our congregations, they're in our choirs, they're in our leadership team, you know? So, uh, so from that, I just began to sit down and learn um, about what it was all about, what the issue was, what I didn't know. And uh, from that, it just became a passion of mine and a pure I wouldn't say I realized it was a life commitment, but it was something I felt that my presence was very important to be engaged and be a part of. And that was uh, was about over almost 25 years ago. Oh, wow. I didn't realize it had been that long. I don't think we ever talked about, um, you know, how did you actually get started in the work? I just, when I met you, you were already doing the work and I, I never really asked the question. That's a long time to be committed to this work. So I volunteered as a part of as a part of Interact, um, they gave me an opportunity as I learned, began to learn and grow to become a, a spokesperson as well, uh, especially as it related to talking to the faith community. And they gave me an opportunity to be a part co-founder of the Circle of Faith, which mm-hmm. was a training institute specifically designed for the faith community. They brought the faith community once a month to the facility to train and you would meet different individuals from agencies that you would be interacting with that you needed to know, you needed to partner with to know what to do and all. And so you've got versed on on those various aspects of that. And it was through the circle of faith that I was spotted by um, Ms. Robin Colbert, who was the uh, assistant associate director of North Carolina Coalition Against Sexual Assault. At that time, during the President Obama's administration, there was an initiative that he put forth called Engaging Men and Boys mm-hmm. into Ending Sexual Violence, was Engaging Men and Boys. And they uh, had been awarded a grant and needed someone to be their program coordinator for that initiative that they had. So that's what brought me to NC CASA. And I think at the time that we met, it was actually during one of our annual conferences, I guess you could mm-hmm. say. And I had did a presentation talking about the engagement and boys program. And uh, yeah, so the, the rest there was a history. It was been a, was a blessing to meet you. And that partnership really grew friendship, but also uh, great support in providing uh, spaces that you were, you trailed blazed the trails to provide opportunities throughout South Carolina, as well as, as you said, through all the way to New York, because I met the late Miss Smiley through you. Uh, I remember that conversation where she contacted and said she needed a, a man. And I said, were you in New York? There are other men there. And I named a few that were much more versed, I thought, in the movement. But she said, but none of them are doing the work in the faith community like you have been doing. I've been hearing about. And then she explained about what the awesome opportunity it would be to not just speak to those in my community, but speak to those from around the world. And that was such an awesome opportunity. Yeah. I'll forever be grateful for, you know, the opportunity. I actually met her. She came to South Carolina for for our annual sexual assault conference, and she and I met. And then as a result of our meeting, we stayed connected. 
And then as a result of that connection, then she and I became friends. And so I always say, you just never know how God is going to connect you to people. You just have to be willing to leave your heart open for those different connections in the way he wants to do it. That's true. And so as a result of that, we're still not only like you're talking to me and we're having this conversation, it went beyond the work. We're friends. And Tony's wife and I became friends and she's actually going to be on the podcast as well. And so it's just been a great opportunity and a a great partnership that we've been able to have as a result of something that is very much need to have conversation about, but we don't have enough conversation. And and we've talked about this in many spaces, I'm sure in your office and in my office and talking about it together is like, how do we get the faith community involved and how do we get men involved in the work in ending violence against women? But before you give us some information and insight, I wanted to know doing this work for as long as you've done it, Tony, what has been the thing that has been most rewarding about doing this work? And what has been the thing that is like been the most disappointing, if you can name those two? Wow, this, those are two great questions. Two great questions. I think the thing that has been very rewarding to me is to receive the appreciation and gratitude from women who are committed to the work to truly see me as a male, as an ally with them, that has been, I would say, the, the most rewarding thing because uh, a lot of men get engaged, some men get, may get engaged as, as a, for a particular event. And that's not in itself, it's not a bad thing. But you have to realize that when men engage in this, you have to engage because you're going to be committed to this, period. Um, mm-hmm. you, it's not like double dutch. You can jump in and out when you want. Well, when a woman is the one turning the ropes, she's not going to stop turning the ropes when it's no longer a popular or political issue. The issue is still there. And, um, and I, I'm, I'm grateful that I've been able to receive that. I think the harder part on the other end, as you're saying, has not, is, is not seen as many men take this issue seriously to understand that the, what happens to women happens to us. And let me put a pin here and say, it is the ending men's violence against women, not just violence against women. And I think sometimes when we don't put it in that context, we, it's almost mystically thinking that, oh, it's just some stranger well, that, or someone that jumps out of the bush or someone that, that ran out of a stadium. But we're really talking about when the statistics show that the majority of, 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 of of incidents that happen, attacks and assaults that happens and violence happens to women is by men. And sadly to say, it often happens in the presence of other men. Now, that is a whole nother can to open there. But we we need to, as men, we need we really need to be speaking up, standing up, learning how to stand up and be active bystanders in this too. Um, to engage and be a part of this, because this is one day possibly going to affect your daughter, your sister, your aunt, your grandmother, because when this evilness is in a person's heart, there are no limits. There are no fences to that. Mm-hmm. hope that answers your question. It does. You know, what I heard you say is that the most rewarding is knowing that you can be, even though you're a man, that you can be considered an ally and being accepted into a, a space in a work that is usually mostly women are doing the work 
And oftentimes I think that because most often women are actually doing the advocating for victims, it is looked at as a women's issue. Mm -hmm. But when men get involved, they can say, no, it's not a women's issue. It's a societal issue. Um, It's an issue for all of us to be not only just not for the month of April to have an awareness month, but how can we be actively involved in ending violence against, like you said, men, um, ending violence that men are perpetrating against women every single month of the year. And I cannot add add to that too, is that the challenge that men have to protect themselves from is premature celebration. Because when you're invited in those spaces and you say the exact same thing that women have been saying, Mm -hmm. you get this, a lot of times you get this grandiose applause from folks and, oh man, that was amazing. Well, I only said what she's been saying the whole time. And Mm -hmm. so then, then what men can, can tend to do is take that applause and that celebration and feel like, okay, um, nothing's going to happen until I'm here. So now you got the Superman on the chest or, um, yeah, this is happening because I'm here and, and now we've conquered it. It just doesn't work that way. Uh, you have to always be mindful that you don't overshadow the issue and overshadow the real stories and the real lies and the real scars of victims that go far beyond your words. You are there to stand with her, beside her, in front of her when asked, behind her when asked to stand together with this issue, because there may be some that may not get it coming from her voice, but get it from yours, but it shouldn't ever be about you. It should always be about her. Mm, That's good, good, good. Thank you, Tony, for saying that. So as a man of faith, like this is so dear to my heart, you know, I started, I was looking um, online last night and just looking at when the faith community that I'm a part of, which is Pure Dominion Ministries. And uh, we started doing free conferences or free trainings to the community and faith leaders in January of 2016. And we stopped only because of the pandemic. And we would do it every quarter. And we would not only do the free trainings, we would get speakers to come in. We would provide, you know, training, um, continuing education hours for advocates. And what I found most difficult is that getting faith community leaders involved getting members from churches involved. And it was just, no matter how much we reached out, it was very few times that we actually got that involvement, even though it's an issue that I think that we should all be talking about. So with that being a challenge for just us doing the work, have you found that to be a challenge with you as well doing the work? And how can we get faith leaders talking about something that's so important and get them involved? Well, let me drop a bomb right here. Okay. Many times it's a challenge and the issue for them to get engaged because they're guilty of it themselves. Mm. It's more, it's difficult for them to support and give space and do all that is necessary to provide the support and commit to the training because they're guilty of it themselves. They're not willing to do the work. They're not willing to be honest. Now you have, I remember at one of our faith trainings for this, what we call the circle of faith in this circle of faith training, one of the prominent pastors in our city uh, was present. And, um, and after maybe about halfway, three quarters away of the presentation, he was like, man, this is what I need. He said, the chairman of my deacon board, passed, uh, Weiss, passed me a note Sunday that says she needed help because her husband was abusing her. Mm-hmm. But I never heard him say what he did about it. Mm-hmm. So, so too often what we do is we allow people to hide behind their positions in the in the church, if I could say it that way, and not really address the issue as a person. 
So one of the great challenges I see in the faith community is both that, not really dealing with it, even if you're not guilty of it, but dealing with it and talking about it. Because every time you're silent and stroking that because he's the pastor, because he's a chairman deacon, because he's the good looking song leader or the musician, uh, whatever prominent position that he may have in the, in the church, instead of speaking out to it, every day you're silent, you're causing the victim to suffer. So, and I think another aspect of it is many times we hide behind the scriptures and we also use the scriptures to justify the abuser's behavior. And that is very dangerous. Now, when you said that oftentimes we hide behind the scriptures and we use the scripture to justify the abuser's behavior, now we're talking about violence against women overall, specifically about sexual violence, about domestic violence. Can you be a little bit more specific for us? Yeah, I'm going to say violence against women, and it may be in various forms because, okay. you know, often you hear the scripture quoted, you know, love co- covers a multitude of faults. Mm-hmm. Well, that's true, but you still need to deal with the issue. I, I, I think about the story with Absalom and Tamar. Mm-hmm. You know, that is a story that really needs to be unpacked theologically that does not. We preach about Tamar or we talk about Abraham, but we don't really deal with Absalom's uncle. He was the one that helped Absalom devise a plan to lure his sister into a room and to rape her. Let's just call it what it is. His uncle helped him. So how many men are helping other men by either being silent, pretending like they don't see the abuse going on, pretending like the eye swelling or the the, the coat in a warm season is normal when knowing that that's just a a way of hiding bruises, a sweater uh, or glasses. You know, we need to speak up and say, and many times we felt like we we tried to hide behind the scriptures and say, well, it's not any of my business. It is our business. Uh, It's not that, you know, God is love and God hates sin, but he also uses us be able to address and, and, and keep each other accountable. We talk about iron sharpens iron, but how often is iron really sharpening iron? Sometimes it's going to spark some fires. You know, a lot of sparks is going to come from the iron being sharpened. And that's what it needs to, needs to happen to see more men of faith sitting down. And I don't mean, you don't have to bully an individual or be uh, bradish about it, but there's a way you need to sit down and, ha- and talk with, and help the individual begin to look inward and figure out what's going inside of you that's causing you to act out and take it your actions against and harm someone else in whatever manner that may be. Mm-hmm. And so if, if I were a faith leader and someone came to me and said they wanted to have a conversation about ending sexual violence and how to make people more aware and education, because you're a part of, you're a leader in the faith community, what would you need as a faith leader to be able to say, yeah, I'm on board with that. Um, yes, let's do that. Do you suggest trainings? Do you suggest you know, like more information? What what would you suggest? Both. I'm okay. going to be like radio and say both. First of all, you need to sit down and not assume you have all of the answers or the, or the knowledge that you have is correct. There are so many layers, different layers to uh, understanding the issue and how to deal with the issue. Most mm-hmm. don't even understand that the terminology or vernacular that we use, or when we say active bystanders, many don't, probably don't even know what that means. Mm-hmm. Uh, that means do I stand by and I'm moving, swaying back and forth? Or even, what does that look like? So I definitely think that any anyone of faith that desires, any man of faith that desires to engage 
even though you don't know, agencies have the opportunities and the learning spaces for you to really sit down and first learn what it is, learn what the struggle is really all about, learn how challenging it is for them to, for victims to make that transition to being survivors. What does that look like? And then when they're survivors, what does that look like? Because you may look at a survivor and she doesn't look like she's ever been abused because it was 10 years ago, but there are scars that she still carries. There are triggers that that are, are still there. There are scents that she'll smell. There are colors that she would see. Um, I think about the, a movie with Julia Roberts once where Julia Roberts' uh, abuser had this thing where he folded the towels in the kitchen and in the bathroom. And when she had escaped and got to a place and she was messing up her towels just to break that. But when she came on once and saw that they were neatly folded, then the fear and experience comes again. So for people of faith, you got to really take the time to learn about the issue Take advantage of those opportunities, either at the agencies or connect with your local agency where they'll come into your faith institute and uh, they just need a place, a room, a, a place to be able to sit down and have conversation. And the other thing I would say with that is it's not going to you're not going to get all the knowledge overnight. So don't think you're going to do one, two classes and you check that box and say, I got it. I'm ready to go. No, you need to sit and partner with them because often after the learning, I know I'm saying a lot, but. After the learning, a lot of times people get, go from start to go, you know, start going fast. They go from start fast and then they just pass the go part and, and realizing it takes continual learning, takes continual partnering and doing the work together, not for so that you don't perpetrate the power of control continually. Right. You know, for even for those of us who do the work as an advocate that we have to go through trainings and we have to continually learn. And recognizing that just because we're, you know, we're there to speak on behalf of victims, but we don't speak for them. So they, we're not their voice. We're amplifying what they want to say. Right. That if we right. have to learn that, and this is what we do every single day, that understanding that, like you said, coming to one training or two trainings does not make you a subject matter expert. And we're never a subject matter expert on someone's never. life, you know, You're and right. how they are dealing with trauma because that is, you know, what we may be seeing is people responding in a certain way and their responses to the trauma. I'll never forget that when I first, my first training when I started working for the coalition is um, one of the ladies there was talking and she talked about young women who had, were incarcerated, well, at DJJ and that these young uh-huh. women, that they would keep getting in trouble coming back to DJJ and the thought process that most people would see them like, oh, they're just bad girls and they keep getting in trouble. But what no one realizes that the reason that they kept getting in trouble is because they were being sexually assaulted at home um, and it was safer at DJJ than it was for them at home. And so what she said is that, and it's become a thing now that people are saying it and Oprah got involved in the conversation. And so more people are aware of it, but the thing has always been when you're dealing with people with traumas, stop asking people what's wrong with them and ask them what happened to them. Mm, and yes. oftentimes we don't know what has happened to them and we can make assumptions. And so I think that's really important as well is that when they come into the space, understanding that when you see people responding in a certain kind of way or not responding, that it may be due to their trauma. Yeah, you made me think about the movie with Antoine Fisher. Mm-hmm. Remember Antoine Fisher and his other his other brothers went up were being sexual assault or abused by his family, the family the ladies in the family who they went to church together. Mm-hmm. They go and 
I call it play church and then go back home and get abused physically, mentally, uh, sexually, uh, and it really scarred their lives. Uh, and so it, we, we have to realize as people of faith, we have to really open our eyes about the issue. It's, it's not going away uh, as such, and people need us. Absolutely. And I'm glad you said that, Tony, because sexual assault, when we look at it, we often think about girls and women, but it's also a crime that's perpetrated against boys and men as well. And so it's, mm-hmm. it does not have to do anything with gender. It's not gender specific that anyone mm-hmm. can be a victim of sexual assault. But we, as those who are standing in, the, you know, in a place where we're advocating for or those who are part of the faith community have to be willing to have the conversation. We can't pretend that it doesn't happen in our church. We can't pretend that we don't have people who are sitting in congregations every single Sunday or whatever day you may have your service who have either experienced it or have uh, or dealing with the aftermath of it. And it could be something that happened to them as a child and they can just be having the memories now of what happened to them. I had something really interesting happen. I've known this person for a very long time and I was sharing with her something personally about myself and just having conversation. And she shared with me that years ago that she had been sexually assaulted. And I know that there are a number of women who have experiences as well, either as young women growing up or as in college or even in adulthood. And so more than likely, you probably know someone, you just may not know yeah. their story. Right. You're there, you walk in amongst them and around them every day. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you don't, you're right. You really don't know. But when you start learning, going to getting trained, uh, you'll start being able to identify the sign. Mm-hmm. Um, what might seem like love might seem, oh, that's so cute. You're like, Mm-mm, no, that's, that's, that's a warning sign right there. Or that's a sign to you, let you know that something deeper going on and you need to do something about it. Well, Tony, I know that this is a broad topic when you're talking about sexual violence and how we can get men engaged in ending sexual violence and how we can get the faith community engaged in ending sexual violence. And then overall, how do we get men engaged and ending violence against women. And so it's such a broad topic, we wouldn't be able to cover it, you know, in one conversation, but at least we started the conversation. And what I would hope is that those that are listening, that they would take away from the conversation is that I don't think it's optional. I think that we have a responsibility to the people who are part of the places where we worship, that when we know better, we do better. And if you're hearing this Uh conversation that we're having tonight, even if you didn't know before, then you can say, what can I do to be someone who helps and not just act as though it's not happening among us. Right. And I think it's important to to be willing to to dump the picture of what you think a sexual assault victim looks like. That's good. I think you need to, because we tend to think that maybe she's raggedy, she's wearing clothes, you know, torn clothes, faces all bruised, uh, you know, she's homeless or she's living in the, in the poor. Uh, it, it, we, we, we have those, but you don't realize when you realize the issue, then you begin to see the victims who are dressed up every day going to church. Who's the one who's playing the music? Who's the one that's riding in the Mercedes Benz mm-hmm. of the pastor beside the pastor, you know, the successful leader? Uh, you recognize the silence or the acting out of the daughter. Uh, of, of the of the child or of the of the young man who seems to be very withdrawn and reserved, not recognizing that this may be he may be a victim. Mm-hmm. 
he may be a victim and their silence is a cry for help. They don't know who to trust, who to turn to, who to, who will advocate for them. Mm-hmm. It is a great challenge. I remember Dr. William Barber, I think the conference that you came, he spoke about the scriptures that says about the least of them, the voice of the voiceless. Mm-hmm. And that is what we need to be when we need to be it, not at all times, but we need to always be engaging for the, for the vulnerable, for the least of them, for those that might not have the strength at the time to do what they need and want to do. It's not doing it for them. It's being there to support. And, uh, and that is, as people of faith, it is our faith in God that gives us strength. But I love the scripture in Ephesians where he says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. That is an independence, but that's also a dependence. So we can do the work with Christ giving us the strength to do it, but it doesn't mean that we do it. He does it for us, or we do it with the exclusion of him, that we don't hide ourselves in the scriptures. Well, God is going to fix that. No, he is. He is going to fix it, but he wants to use you as his arms and his legs and his voice and the tears that you cry. What breaks his heart should break your heart. Mm -hmm. And uh, that is a place that we need to be. And those are ministering opportunities. So many ministering opportunities because sometimes my pain is so great. I can't hear you hear the love message that you're preaching mm-hmm. because I'm in so much pain. But when you're able to stop mid your love sermon and talk about how God is present with those who are broken and downhearted, now you're getting down to my level like Christ did. You're meeting me where I am. And those words of encouragement are what I need to begin to lift me up from my bed of despair, my bed of hopelessness at that point, although there may be others around who are avoiding seeing and who may not desire to even be a part of the process. But if you're there, like Peter and and John were, there are others that passed. Story of the Good Samaritans, Mm -hmm. there were many that passed. But you have to ask yourself, am I I that one that right now that God is commanding and he's tugging on my heart to pause and to help in whatever way that that may look like? And I like the part you say, take the time to pause. You would have to be attentive make ourselves available to help. Yeah. And I think one of the best ways to, to make ourselves available to help is for leaders to to have conversations and to have sermons like Sexual Assault Awareness Month, just making people aware that you're aware that this is uh-huh. Sexual Assault Awareness Month and that you have provisions in place whereas people needed to know what resources are available. So become aware yeah. with the resources that are available in your local community, those rape crisis centers that are available that can come in yes. and provide information, um, the national hotline where people can call if they're experiencing. And one of the things I think is really, really, really important. Do you think I think this is important? Yes, I do. Is that mm-hmm. making sure that when we have children in, you know, children's church and all of those things that when children are away from their parents is that it is one thing to do a background check, but background right. checks that don't go from state to state. So you need right. to be having things that are implemented in place for the safety of protecting, like you said, the most vulnerable ones. And so people can come yeah. in and tell you how to make sure that you're ensuring that the children are protected, but also protecting those that are in leadership so that there are no accusations where they can say, well, there were always adults with children and right. more than one. And so just protecting yourself and protecting children at the same time. Yeah. And let me let me back up and chime on something you said there. I think it's great for leaders to speak about it from the pulpit, mm-hmm. uh, even on a Sunday morning. But I want to caution, it is important that you do that also in a responsible way. Mm-hmm. 
I think if you're going, you know that you're going to do a, a message, you're going to do a series on that, that it will be helpful to prearrange that you have your local agency, that you build a relationship with them, partner with them. And I'm going to even say this other part about it, include them as a part of your church budget where your missions, if you want to say your local missions, that you include that agency in your church budget because they need funds from the general public so badly to enable them to be able to do services in a way that may not necessarily, that will, should I say, not be as uh, control driven. There are certain controls when you're getting money from the government. There are certain things you can do, you can't do. But when you have private funds, you can use those funds as you desire. So partner with them, have them present in the congregation and let people know that there, that there's a safe space that, hey, if something is happening, you want to talk about privately, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand and mm -hmm. stand up so everybody can know who it is. See, then that's grandstanding trying to make it all about you. Mm -hmm. But when you're doing it for victims and making it safe for them, and then you provide a, a safe space that they could go, or at least go by and say, you know, I'd like to have your card. I'd like to give you a call. Mm -hmm. and I don't have to talk about it right then. But that is the way to do it responsibly and, and to be a part of the process of, uh, of bringing those type services and using your space and your voice and your platform to do it. Well, thank you. I think that's a perfect place to, to actually end this conversation is that being responsible as a leader, that when you're going to have these conversations, that you do it in a way that is respectful to the people who have experienced sexual violence, that you're making them feel like as though this is a safe place, that they are not going to be pointed out and people are going to know, you know who they are, and including the local agencies. And I think the part that you said that was really good as well is that putting it in your budget so that you can support these agencies so that they can come in and do the education work and you can work together. It's, a, it's not about one versus the other. It's a how can we work together? The ones who are yeah. the subject matter experts and then the faith community working yeah. together to ensure the safety of everybody that you're called to serve. That is so key to Donna. Let me just chime in and say, because leaders have in the church, leaders have so many other responsibilities. This is not something you insert in your pocket handkerchief mm -hmm. that you're going to do, add to your list. It's better to partner and then let the agency professionals do what they do as a part. It is ministry work. Mm -hmm. Let them handle that part of the ministry. As males, you don't try to do women's ministries. You allow the woman to handle the women's ministry. The women allow the men to handle the men's ministry. But together, the ministry as a part of the collective work that the church is doing for the community, for the body of Christ together is what makes it so powerful and so effective. And so I think that same way is understanding the value and the blessing of having that partnership and that value and blessing enable them, let them do the counseling that they are already qualified and they got their, their degrees in to do. This might not be your particular path and just do that. And you do that together. At the end of the day, it's about ministering to the lost, to the hurting, to the voiceless, in a way that God gets the glory, but they are edified in their lives. And we all experience the joy knowing that it was done together. All right. Well, thank you, Tony. I don't think there's anything else that's left to be said. I just want to tell you, thank you so much for coming on and having the conversation about something that can be heavy, but it's a conversation that's necessary. And even though we're having the conversation during Sexual Assault Awareness Month, I'm hoping that the conversation goes way beyond the month of April because we have victims every single day, not just during the month of April, and that faith leaders and those who are not actively doing something to actually uh, provide a, a space and, and maybe they don't even know how to start, and that at least this conversation will give them a place where they can begin. 
having the conversations and engaging in a way that's, as you said, is going to help everybody that needs to help. So thank you again for coming on and being a part of Sisters Doing Life Together podcast. Thank you, Donna. It was my pleasure, my honor. All right. Thank you. Thank you again for listening to Sisters Doing Life Together podcast. If you haven't done so already, will you please take a moment to rate and subscribe the podcast on either Anchor, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify? If we're not connected yet, let's connect on Instagram at sisters underscore doing life together. I'm asking you one more thing. Will you please take a moment and share the podcast with at least one other person? I so greatly appreciate it. I hope you will tune in again and listen to us. Until next time. Bye-bye.